Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Bakersfield, Portland, Mescal, Tequila, and so much more. Today's guest is the amazing Clayton Check, COO of La Cata, a dedicated tequila bar in tequila. You would think there'd be plenty of these, but this is an innovative project and also the co-founder of Experience Mescal and Experience Tequila, guided and curated tours diving into the deep cultural and production impacts of both tequila and mezcal. He was a servant for the public in Portland. He's a front man to a band way back, and I can't wait to sing karaoke with him very, very soon. Clayton was in town last South by Southwest, but this chat is amazing, and I cannot wait to go back to Jalisco and visit Cata. So, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Clayton Check. I, I've Googled it, and I think that's the only thing left. <laughs> we, because you know, we had some press, but I think it's all, you know, stuff gets, it's out there, but it gets yeah. so buried in the searches. Well, know? I'll tell you what, there's a tip that I suggest when, when people are using Google because it's this massive yeah. brain of information. Yeah. Most of the stuff that defines our career, let's say, now it's obviously little steps as we kind of move through becoming evolved as a human and all that, but. Most of the cool stuff that's really shitty and nerdy happens way back in the... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's this thing on Google search. It makes perfect sense once you think about it. But you, it's a search tool. You can pick a time frame. Oh. So I say, well, when was Clayton not famous? Right. <laughs> and then I go back. Right, right, right. And then I find out that you are a scholar. Right now, we, we, I think people know mostly that you have a sociology degree from Reed. But I don't think maybe that they know how involved with maybe the movement and human uh-huh. rights and uh-huh. maybe anarchy that you were. Uh-huh. And these things, coupled with other things from early on in your career, you know, you get this punk rock yeah. mentality and sensibility. Yeah. But first, I want to talk about this music. Thing. Right on, right on. You are, oh man, I want to guess, sociology, so not probably not a drummer. No. Nope. Okay, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess those guys would be engineering majors. You yeah, know? yeah. So either guitar or bass, is that fair? I was a front man. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I don't have the discipline to learn an instrument well. So, yeah. So I was lead screamer, no front shit. man. Yeah. So yeah, not this, much of a singer, but I, I can I can move a crowd. Who, <laughs> who do you like? Like, who is someone that their onstage presence, you're thinking, man, that is pretty, pretty motivating. I like that. Well, I mean, my original, my my first inspiration, it's it's pretty obnoxious to think about it now, but my first inspiration is Jill Biafra. Oh, um, well, that's you know? great. And I was, I fronted a... Uh, a GNR tribute band, so you did know, you? Prim- Primera <laughs> Axel was pretty, pretty inspiring too. Somewhere between Jello and Axel. <laughs> Honestly, I can't, I can't make sense of that. <laughs> That's so right in the middle. It's like you're politically motivated yet self-absorbed. You've right, got good right. range, and yet you move around a totally, lot on stage. Totally. Oh, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> so the going back to the, the punk rock thing. So you were in multiple bands. Well, I, you know, I was, I was in one serious band, a metal band. Yeah. Uh, Anything that anybody 2000s. would have heard of? 
If you were in Portland in the early 2000s and you were into that kind of music, probably. Yeah. But other than that, not really. We were called the Bonobo Project. That, oh, nice. And, yeah. Nice <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we had our moment in Portland where we gigged a lot and we did a little CD. And, um, but other than that, it was just kind of messing around. We had the GNR Tribute Band, me and some of the same guys. What was the name of the GNR Tribute Band? Paradise Citizen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Parad- Paradise Citizen. Oh, that's nice. I named the band. Uh, <laughs> and then I had a goofy kind of guarish like shock metal band. Really? College. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So this, so it's hard because these latest chapters, Mezcal, Tequila, these are very creative, very passionate spirits, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always imagine them like music. I always see them like mm-hmm. music. So this early on, Bakersfield, California, man, agrarian area. <laughs> Yeah. What what kinds of things were you doing in Bakersfield? Well, I was to laugh, but it's no, a, it's it's funny. I mean, I was basically just a nerd. I mean, I've been a, a nerd in a bookworm my whole life. Yeah. I started reading when I was real, real little, um, and and was just very absorbed by books and, yeah. and learning. And uh, then in in high school, which uh, you know I, I didn't I didn't enjoy high school too much, but it was a little better than junior high. Junior high was kind of the worst for me. Is it like isolate? So that's kind of what I experienced. I moved around so much during. Yeah. Life. Is it isolationism or is it just like... I just didn't really feel the kind of general culture there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty closed-minded place, pretty sure. conservative place. It may be totally different now. I have no idea. And, and you know, and I should say, like, this was very much the world I grew up in, which was like the white world, right. which is really kind of the real answer to how I started getting into, you know, the lo- road that led me to Mexican spirits was just, you know, studying Spanish and kind of wanting a way out to something different. Interesting. Um, so, you know, I just, the kind of suburban culture was, was pretty boring to me. What, um, what did your folks do? What kinds of lines of work? Uh, well, my stepdad's a welder. Welder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He worked in oil refineries uh, and my mom just kind of had odd jobs off and on. Yeah. You know, uh, hospitality stuff, like stuff or more like. Well, when I was real little, yeah, actually when, when I was real young and my mom was single, uh, she divorced when we were pretty young. Yeah. And I was real, when I was real little, my mom was a, a bartender and a waitress, um, which is the closest I've ever come to working <laughs> in a bar until we opened a bar last year. Yeah. It was never line of work I had been in. Um, but my mom was when I was really young, and I have some very early memories of, you know, babysitter doesn't show up or something, and my mom would have to take me to work with her. And I remember she'd make a little desk for me behind the bar, and I'd be back there <laughs> with my Shirley Temple and my Roy Rogers, yeah. like oh, yeah. reading my books, you know. <laughs> Man, see, you know what's funny is that if you look back far enough, there are always intersection points with yeah, us in this industry. For sure. My folks met in a bar. Mm-hmm. My dad was her manager, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, my mom and my stepdad, he was a he was a regular. No. Way. Yeah, yeah. He was a customer at the restaurant she was working at. Yeah, and that's where he started wooing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody says it's a bad idea, and I don't recommend, you know, hating on your waitress, but in my parents' case, it, it ended up working out. Yeah, you know, it's a tough one because <laughs> I met my ex-wife in a bar. Uh-huh. That, Hence the X, right? So yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's some, uh, you know, some, lug- some, some luggage there, I guess, yeah, before sure. you bring it in. Well, for so sure. feeling a little isolated, you're finding outside cultures to give you this peek into something larger. Because it seems like it's just so insular in Bakersfield. Yeah, right? it was. And, you know, so I, I got really into, you know, of course, in the U.S., most of us don't get exposed to learning a foreign language until yeah. basically too late, you know, right, when you're a right. teenager. So it was the first time I'd really been exposed to learning a language when I was 13. And, and I went really hard and heavy into that and got really into Spanish. Uh, and then right around the same time, you know, when I was about 13 is when, you know, I, that was that was kind of when, you know, the year punk broke or whatever, whatever this fourth wave thing yeah. that happened. And I was, 
that I was right at the right age for that to happen. And so it's like 91, right? I got really into that. And yeah, 91, 91, I graduated from junior high and, and kind of started transitioning from being a little metalhead to being a little wannabe punk rocker. Was there the band that helped you transition lovely? Into... It was the Dead Kennedys. Oh. The Dead Kennedys, you know, I don't listen to them too much. They're a little hard to take sometimes, yeah. but but they're still my all-time favorite band. No kidding. Yeah. Did you have the DK shirts? Oh, I had I had two DK shirts. Yeah, I had two DK shirts. Yeah, I wore one of them well into college. It was it was literally falling apart. <laughs> Tatters. Yeah. yeah, the Cub Scout at the at the grave. It was that the blue and black. One. Oh was man, <laughs> and that's but that's a great way because they were different because they thought about things and it. So you know, all right. So but Bad Religion is one of my favorites. Right? Oh yeah, so count them. That might have been the first. I think that was the first like big punk show I went to. Oh really? Green Day opening for Bad Religion, dude. One or ninety two. Those are bro- Stranger Than Fiction days, dude. Great show. Well, actually, or it was Recipe for Hate, maybe. Recipe for Hate. Yeah, yeah. Be- yeah. but great time in yeah, punk rock, as far absolutely. as I'm concerned. Oh yeah. But it's a little bit different. Like Bad Religion is intellectualizes mm-hmm. the problems with us as people, mm-hmm. how we interact with each other, and societies at large, mm-hmm. and the government, of course. Mm-hmm. But the Dead Kennedys, it was more about. It was more visceral. It wasn't as intellectual. Now I'm not saying yeah. it's not smart, but you know what I mean? It's like no. guttural. Well, and also just absurdist. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. so much of their stuff is just so ridiculous. And you know, you, you you'll get political analysis, but then you'll just you know get one way ticket to Pluto. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, like we should all shrink or just weird stuff. And and you know, I've always been a weirdo, and and that really I, I liked Bad Religion. I liked kind of the more analytical stuff, yeah. but you know the kennedys always spoke to me just because it was just so so goofy and it just is. so like you know, it never took itself too seriously yeah, yeah, bad exactly. religion may run the risk of taking itself oh, seriously, absolutely even though it's amazing yeah i love it still yeah, to yeah, this for day. sure but that's a pretty good pedigree creatively to come from yeah but thinking of all the options you had for languages of course there's german he's like half as there's latin i'm sure yeah well but why spanish then? in in my high school there were only two it was, oh, it was, it was, it was spanish and french and mm. i guess to me, it just seemed real practical. I mean, I was uh, like, why, yeah. you know, I'm 45% of the place I live is, is Hispanic, mostly Mexican. Yeah. Why would I study something else? And I always really judge the kids that took French. I was just like, <laughs> racists, you know, like, oh, you know, you, you know, of course, all languages are wonderful and people have a lot of reasons to study them. But I, I truly just didn't understand, you know, why you would choose not to learn something right. that was going to allow you to communicate with the people you know, around twice you. as many people around you. Yeah. Um, and so for me, there was just, it was just a real practical element to it. You know, I grew up in kind of mixed environments, you know, just in terms of a lot of my uncles are in construction. Yeah. So, you know, so like, you're around these guys, you know, Mexicans. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. exactly. And, you know, we had neighbors and, you know, my family's Catholic. So I had Mexican godparents and, um, it was just a practical thing of wanting to be able to talk to more people. See, it's pragmatic. Yeah. You know, it's because yeah. I took French. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did live in Salt Lake City, in all right, fairness. Right, right, right. Not any Mexicans right. that I can think of at, at that time, point. At Not that in the time, fucking 90s, yeah. that's for sure. Right, right. But so it is very practical, makes some yeah. kind of sense. But thinking about how you apply this stuff and kind of move forward with it, being a bookworm and being someone that's probably pretty analytical, somewhat creative, did you have to do the academic thing? Go into higher ed? I, you know, I never, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I, you know, I was really the second person in my whole extended family to go to college, no the first person in my, in my immediate family. And I was precocious from the time I was young and, and, you know, without pushing me in any way, I mean, it was just kind of taken for granted that I would, I would go to college and, and I certainly wanted to, you yeah. know, I, high school was, you know, I was in all the smart kid classes and it just, it wasn't very challenging. And mm. I wanted to, you know, when I got to college and I was like, oh, like, you know, my, my teachers are super smart, you know, like uh, the kids are super smart. That was, it was great. Yeah. It was, it was a, it's a nice it was a new ecosystem. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, to go and really be challenged, 
that's what I wanted. And, and, uh, you know, the, the Spanish thing carried over. I started working, uh, in social services for immigrants, uh, was my work study job. Oh, wow. So, so I was involved in kind of that community aspect, uh, of, of the Hispanic community in Portland from, from the first week I moved there. What was the, so Portland's lovely, but you had your pick of the litter, I'm sure in academic pursuits, right? Why Portland for you? You know, I, I, uh, I visited, I visited uh, Reed College, where I ended up going, and both the school and the city just were perfect for me yeah. at that time. You know, um, it was it was small. I, the classes I attended were really challenging and inspiring, and, and Portland itself was just, you know, 180 from Bakersfield yeah, yeah. in every way. Um, and so everything about it was it was just perfect for me. It was me. never I, a girl. No, okay. no, no, that's why I ended up in fucking Austin. Oh no, no, no! In fact, no. I was I was still with my high school girlfriend when I moved there. No so, way! Yeah. She moved up there with you? No, no, no. She was she was a year younger than me, so she was still in high school. It didn't, oh, yeah. Of course, it didn't last. But, no, but, but it's fun to think about. It. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Um, so so no, it was it was the school and the city both struck me, and you know, it took me twenty years to get over the city. Yeah. <laughs> You know, school school took its toll. I, I got a little burned out and took a year off, and then came back. But um, but still was, doing social work through that whole yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did I did social work for for many years, uh, and with immigrants, with homeless people, homeless kids, uh, uh, harm reduction, wow. needle exchange, stuff like that. That's amazing. Yeah, mostly kind of worked mostly in the immigrant community at first, and then transitioned sort of to more of the homeless population. But did that for seven or eight years, probably. Does that take its toll on you yeah for sure for sure it's it's hard you know um you got to take breaks and some people i think are are better at self-care than others and and i certainly needed a break at some point and then eventually you know didn't stop doing it yeah it seems like seeing that much being exposed to what is the plight of so many people you know, like I, it would just wear heavy on my conscience every yeah, day. Yeah, you, know? you know, if you if you're empathetic, you know, it, it takes its toll, and 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 those of us who are drawn to that type of work are always the best at taking care of ourselves. Right. You know, and especially at that age, I was so young, taking care of myself was not high on the priority list. Well, like, so would we all eat probably shitty at that age, right? <laughs> yeah. Were you drinking at that point? Like, oh yeah, like, yeah. I've always I've always been a drinker. Yeah, yeah but sure. but appreciating it appreciating it the way you do now? Or no, just... at that point, not really. I mean, I was a little bit into beer the way like you know any early twenties dude in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest was kind of like into beer. Yeah, like, I liked. Did you have games. a beard? Just tell me you had a beard. No, I okay. didn't. I didn't have a beard. It was I probably couldn't have even grown a beard at that point. This is only I think the third time in my life I've had a beard. Really? It's I mean yeah. it's pretty pretty plush I, I i like this one you know it's it's i've had it for a couple of years now um i realized it's easier to let your facial hair grow than it is to exercise and get rid of the second oh, chin so easily <laughs> it's mad oh man it's just smoke and mirrors it's easier game yeah, to play. yeah absolutely no i was i was uh i was a skinny little dude that probably couldn't have grown a beard at that time but uh, <laughs> yeah i was you know doing music and and doing politics and and uh no i didn't you know it's it's interesting because you know i'm so you know a cultural take on booze is, yeah. is what I do, but I didn't start taking, you know, alcohol spirits, any of that seriously at all until I was living in Mexico the first time. No was way. Like 2007, I think 2006 or 2007. Interesting. Yeah. It wasn't really a thing that was very important to me, you know, like, like I, you know, I, I like to drink. This was kind of before craft cocktails were really happening. Yeah. 
So, you know, I drank my beer, I drank my whiskey and, you know, that was listen to your GNR. Really and you're yeah, that was really it, happy. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Actually the, that, that bourbon bottle here in the studio is giving me like flashbacks to stage swigging oh, you know, in, the, in, the, yeah. in the tribute band. The bottle and bond Evan Williams. I kind of, I kind of ruined myself on bur- for bourbon, unfortunately. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. The way some people do with tequila, I, I did myself in with bourbon. <laughs> yeah. We have nice There's certain <laughs> bottles I can't drink anymore. Yeah. That is for, for yeah. certain. Yeah. So, but it's nice you're it's, there's got to be a reason, though. Was did you need to get out of the gray and the rainy? Is that why you kind of moved to Mexico? Oh, was there another opportunity? Actually, it's kind of funny because we're talking about political stuff. This doesn't hasn't come up in a long time, but it was actually um, when uh, George W. Bush was reelected. Oh man, and, I remember um, that. You know, remember back when that was the worst thing that could happen? Sure. Um, that seems great. It's now. Funny to think about He's now. Like, I know. <laughs> real, real quick. How profound does he seem now? It's so strange to me yeah. because he comes out and saying, yeah, you guys are fucking lying and everybody he's, sucks in the government. He's still pretty bad, but it's just like, oh, that was like a sane person. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not a megalomaniac. Right. right. Just kind of a doofus. Yeah. That was okay. But you, so I was like, I can't believe that we just did this again. Like, I'll, I'll give you guys the first one, but another one. And so it was a, it was a real low time uh, for me personally, you know, and, and I was really disenchanted with the way the country was going. So, um, I actually kind of took stock of what I was doing and I was, I was doing work in the community that I, I was very committed to, but I didn't feel like it was particularly good at or effective. Really? Yeah. You well, know, you weren't jaded though, were you? you were I mean, I was, I was getting, I feel like I was being realistic. Yeah. You know, I was trying to be realistic about who I was and what my skills were and, and taking stock of like, okay, well, what am I good at? What skills or skill do I have that, that could really be of use you know, yeah. in the long term? And I was like, well, I speak another language and that's pretty much all I got. So I just thought, you know, it's time for me to uh, go live in Mexico. And my span, you know, I'd been working professionally in bilingual environments you know, since I was 17. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my, my Spanish had really atrophied around, you know, professional themes or sure. social work, legal stuff. I was working in the public defender's office at the time. Um, and, and I just I thought, well... I can get my Spanish, you know, to a real fluent level, then I can be very valuable no matter what. That's something that's always going to be valuable. Yeah. So, so I, I moved, I moved to Mexico um, and lived there for about a year, and that's when I started uh, taking tequila seriously. Where in Mexico did you move? I lived in Jalapa, Veracruz. It's the state capital okay. of Veracruz. Yeah, yeah. kind of in a weird way, the Portland of Mexico. It's very green, very rainy, very <laughs> kind of dreary. You get away from it, man. Yeah, it's like the least Mexican part of Mexico in a way. It's culturally a lot more like Puebla, kind of close to the Interesting. border with Puebla. Um, so yeah, and I was. Uh, it's it's like the least social place in Mexico, and I was at an, a weird age because, you know, I guess how old would I've been? I was in my my late twenties, I guess. Yeah. And, and so my peers all had families, you know, I yeah, mean, they yeah. were already deep into having kids and stuff. And so I didn't hang out with a lot of people and, and I would, I would buy a different bottle of tequila about every week. And I had sworn off tequila before twice and, <laughs> and, and I kind of got back into it because I wasn't making any money and I couldn't afford anything else. And, and I just kind of immediately realized, wow, like some of this obviously is really bad. And then some of this is really good. Yeah. It was the first time I really questioned like, well, why is that? You know, where does this come from? Yeah. Um, and I just started reading stuff and I spent months in the library. I was reading a lot about Mexican history too that year in the library, but um, you know, the internet wasn't what it is today, but right. there was already a lot out there. And so I just devoured everything I could find. I got into the blue agave forum, mm. uh, the Ian Chadwick's forum, which in search of the blue agave, which at the time, and still, I recommend people when they want to learn about tequila, go there and just there's so much information there. Yeah, a little bit dated, somewhat maybe, but but there, you know, I just devoured that for months and 
ordered books and and got to the point where I felt like I had read everything I could find. Um, and and that's when I said, well, this, this seems so weird. With this plant, it takes eight years to grow. What are you talking about? Like, it sounded alien. It sounded like fiction. Yeah, yeah. And so after about a year, I was ready to go back and uh, back to to Portland. Portland. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, well, on my way out, I'm going to go see this town called Tequila because this just seems too bizarre. And I went there, and the town just really captivated me, and, and I, I just wanted to keep coming back. Man, people again. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you majored in sociology. It seems like you you pay your dues to help people. You worked in the public defender's office. You're helping homeless, helping the underprivileged, so, you know, financially constrained, right? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of take that and evolve and say, you know what, maybe I'm going to now bring people into this other thing. Yeah. It's a positive thing. Yeah, it just kind of happened. I mean, it, it, it is a, in a way a real abrupt shift, but, you know, I was heading back. I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to do. I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't uh, against going back into what I'd been doing, but I really had no plan. And then I got to this town and, and I really liked it and it seemed really special. And, you know, the industry uh, seemed like something totally unique, the, you know, tequila industry. Right. And there wasn't a lot of tourism happening. I mean, I think Mundo Cuervo had opened maybe a few years, maybe four years before. Mm-hmm. The Ruta de Tequila, I think, started that year. Uh, it was very new. And so there were a few local operators, but, you know, it was it, there wasn't a lot happening with tourism. And, you know, the way some people, you know, they're good looking. People say, oh, you should be a model. Or if you're real <laughs> funny, people say, oh, you should be a stand up, you know. Right. For whatever reason, what did they tell you? over the years, I've been told, oh, you should be a tour guide, you know, but you file it away like one of those. Why? Because I, I like, you know, I like showing people where I'm from or where sure. I live or places yeah. I've been. And so, you know, with, with different friends traveling or when they were visiting, you know, I would just kind of be like a little tour guide. And do, you, do you feel like you're a good host? Like if someone comes into your place? I, I am now, you know, I, I wasn't always, but I actually took a, I took a long trip to Turkey one time and I was in Turkey for four months and just the everyday hospitality of people yeah. really blew me away. And and that was a moment that was like in 2003. And that was a moment where, where I committed to being a better host in my home. Nice. I'm still not great. Cause I'm never home. So there's never like food there or anything. Well, then that's, but... that's a good excuse. Perfectly excusable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, this was in the back of my mind that, you know, two, three people over the years have been like, Oh, you should, you'd be a good tour guide and you know, <laughs> take it seriously. But then I just looked around and, and everything just kind of fell into place. Like, there's a big opportunity here. No one's doing exactly what I could imagine yeah. myself doing. I think I'd actually be good at it because my, my honestly, my priority or my, my objective was I want to come back here, but I don't want to pay for it. You know, mm-hmm. I just want, I want to keep coming back and yes. And I want to share this with other people too, but there was certainly a selfish aspect of like, well, there, I'd like to be coming to Mexico regularly. And, yeah. and if, if I didn't have to pick up the tab, that'd be great. Sure. You know? No, but I mean, that's reasonable. That's actually entrepreneurialism. If you think about it. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I, I never felt particularly entrepreneurial, but this was just the time and the place where, you know, I had, a, it just appeared to me, you yeah. know, I want to, I want to say I had a vision cause it, it like, it appeared to me, you know, it came uh, to you. Yeah. 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 So this first, so this makes sense, right? So you find this place, you're like, there's an intellectual element to it, right? There's some good science. Yeah. I've got this element where I can host people, show them things. Yeah. feel like I'm connecting them to this thing. Like a conduit from the West, East meets West, right? Even though it's both mm-hmm. West. But yeah. so then you think, okay, well, what's the next formation of this? What's the next evolution of this concept? Is it the experienced tequila Site? Is it that? Yeah, site? like I, I started, I mean, that name occurred to me because, and, and 
you know for me the the concept is it's like a command like experience tequila damn it you know oh like, i see okay. don't you don't you don't just drink it you experience it you know i thought like, there would have been an exclamation mark in the url then. i should have should have been i know <laughs> motherfucker right Come yeah on. right right but it's like you know come down here experience this because yeah. because there's a culture here and and uh you know it goes kind of back to my you know my my academic background but to me all you know spirits and and you know wines and things like that they're they're an angle they're a, they're an angle to look at the culture they're a lens to see yeah, the culture absolutely. and uh you know gastronomy is another one dance is another one music is one you know visual arts yeah these are all different angles on looking into something that we call culture and so the, the spirits especially in mexico being so central and fundamental to 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 the cultures there uh is is a good and fun one you know to to learn about and pursue and so i just knew okay i'm gonna do tours who knows if it'll go anywhere uh but i'm gonna i'm gonna start a tour company i no idea what that meant or implied i still am a very much an outsider in the tour business yeah i, I don't know what i'm doing half the time but it, it works um and, and but so, that's all that matters really at yeah the end of the day, you know? well and 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 so i i just started literally knocking on doors and and talking to people about my idea tequila makers hotels and and the tequila makers in particular were just very positive from the beginning yeah and nobody ever said no everybody would they saw how enthusiastic i was and they, and they met that with their own enthusiasm and some of it was timing. I think it would be harder to do now when there's sure. a lot more people interested maybe in doing something similar. But, uh, you know, they were just very hospitable and very warm. And, and nobody ever said no from the big guys to the small guys. Um, and, and then I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to be a tour guide, if I'm going to be taking people around, I need to know what I'm talking about. So I yeah, need to really course. become more knowledgeable. So I started studying more and spending a lot of time in distilleries and, and seeking out, you know, chemists and botanists and, and, and you know, uh, reading the books I could find and, and seeking out the people there physically. But really the end was, I want to be a good tour guide. But then incidentally, I just became someone who kind of knew a fair amount about this stuff. And, and compared to other people in the U S who spoke fluent English, uh, kind of became someone who, who knew a bit more than many other people. And so I started doing events, which again, the idea was they were just going to promote the tours, but, but this whole other side developed where it was like, Oh, then Okay, it's not just about the tours. I'm actually promoting this category, promoting this culture, right? Right. You know, and and just kind of fell into this role that uh, very kind of quickly um, that that uh, I've tried to you know always be humble about because it's really predicated on the generosity of hundreds of other people sharing sure. their knowledge and experience with me. Um, but yeah, so this, this business developed that the tours are still and always have been a central part of it, but kind of just more of a general cheerleader um, spokesman. Yeah, and well, decided early on, you know, I wasn't. Um, I did. I did a little. I did a little bit of you know brand stuff at the beginning. Like, did you really? Well, I was. I was really enthusiastic about Fortaleza. I still yeah. am, you know. Yeah. And and I wanted Fortaleza to come into Oregon. Um, so I, I did some work for them that I was compensated for to help them get into Oregon. Yeah. Um, and I did a couple of other little things um, at the very beginning uh, for a brand that's no longer around called Corrido. Which, if you find these old get bottles, it? they're fantastic. Really good juice. Um, but so yeah, so and I was always, you know, c- coming from social work and coming from the legal world, you know, I'm always thinking about conflicts of interest, and so I was always just painfully letting people know when I was on a brand's dime, right, right. Um, and then you know, after after the work I did with Fortaleza, which I was very happy with, you know, just decided that that was it, and I, and I wasn't going to, um, you know, uh, brand agnostic. Yeah. Yeah, basically, you know, and, and I have my preferences, and they're pretty pretty evident if sure, you see like sure. what I do. 
Um, but you know, I've, I've turned down jobs and I've turned down money to promote brands, even some that I believe in, you know, usually they're not the ones I believe in. <laughs> so it's a little easy to turn well, it's down. It's easy, man. Cause you're like, you're the, the, well, don't take this the wrong way, but the great white hope, you know what I mean? Cause it's way easier to have a white dude yeah. selling tequila in America than does the alternative. Unfortunately, whether that's yeah. right or not. Yeah, and unfortunately, not. Yeah. And I imagine you have, there, there are people that think like, man, you could really convert a lot of fuckers into liking this this piss yeah. you know yeah and i'm glad that you said no you know despite how tempting that may be yeah i mean i like i like being my own boss and i like being able to be honest you know i try yeah. to be respectful and, and diplomatic somewhat but you know i like that if, if if there's you know a brand that that i'm really into and i'm i'm putting it at my events and talking it up that if something changes in the quality of the clients i can just quietly stop doing that right you know no, i don't, I don't have to i don't have to answer to anyone and and, you know, I have good relationships with pretty much all the brands and, and, you know, we're all very clear that, you know, if I'm, if I'm including a brand for whatever reason in an event, it's because I think it has something to say, Yeah. whether, whether I love it personally or not, usually I do, but not always. Sometimes it's there for a particular reason about mm. the way it's produced or, or where it's from, or it has something to say. I bring something to the table and the brands all know that if I have them in my event, it's because there's some positive there and, and I'm going to treat it with respect, yeah. but that, you know, I'm not going to pitch their lie and I'm going to have my, my take on, on what it is. And I think that people appreciate that. I mean, the one thing that I've always, two things I knew or, or I heard about you before I met you. And that is one that you took to Spanish, like, like <laughs> amazingly. And I didn't realize you had such a decorated past and working with people and, yeah, it was it was funny. I was sitting down to, to Jorge Reptis. Oh yeah, and he's yeah. like, dude, this guy Clayton. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Clayton, huh? love Jorge. Yeah, yeah and he's yeah. like, he just he gets it. He's better better Spanish right. than me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was amazing. But the other thing too is that you are a sign of integrity, a sign of honesty. Thank you. And but not beating it over people's heads. Yeah, I like it when people can just be emblematic and they themselves can symbolize these things. Well, that's I appreciate that. You know, I, it's. I think I, I beat my head against the wall too much a little early on and tried to take on fights. And, it's very punk rock. You know, well, yeah, <laughs> it, it gets tiring though, you know, and it just with, with social media now and stuff, I mean, there's, there's so much noise out there and there's so much misinformation and some of it's deliberate and, and some of it's just ignorance. Um, but you know, if, if I try to spend all my time, you know, sometimes I feel like a certain obligation to sort of set people right. But then I realize That'd be a full time job oh, that, no that you know is kind of fruitless, and I'm certainly not going to be compensated <laughs> right. for, you know. And and so I just try to do the work, you know. I and and, and I need to do a better job of 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 writing and getting my stuff out there. Yeah. And and I've built more of a team now, and so I'm getting some of the more day to day things off my plate. Luckily, I have some great people working with me. Um, and and one of my goals is is to do some writing. Mm. Um, and and. You know, because it's easy to take pot shots from the sidelines, like, oh, the, you know, oh, I don't like that book or I don't like that blog or whatever. But if I'm not producing something, yeah. then what can well, I really say? It's different if people aren't capable of doing that, right? And they're sure. just kind of being Absolutely. pedantic and being bitches mm -hmm. about stuff and complaining. But you are insightful. You have the experience. So you, in a sense, I wouldn't say that you owe anybody anything. But I feel maybe there is a cultural obligation you might have to put this to the page. Yeah, These I think things so. that you've you've lived in these yeah. places you've been. Well, I think especially just with the situation with Mescal, you know, and it feels so urgent right now. And and I'm certainly much more of a neophyte, you know, outside of the tequila world when it comes to the other Mescals. Right. But 
um, there's definitely things to be said and, and, you know, well, can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, so sure. I'm not going to talk about any particular brands cause that's, yeah. it's not fruitful to yeah. much like a Facebook argument. Right. Yeah. But I did release an interview this week that I'm not trying to cast judgment on anybody. I want them to talk about the thing that they think they believe in or that they truly mm-hmm. do. Sometimes people are paid to believe yeah. and some people truly do. Yeah. But is mezcal at large really at risk of losing its identity or losing its quality given white dudes that are chocolatiers are coming in and i mean i think so i i I, it can it can seem dramatic you know to say that but i i do think there's a real risk and and i think you know one thing is that you know cultures survive cultures subsist and and i think there will always be people making real mezcal Mm -hmm. and and but what we have an opportunity to uh, influence or participate in is is what's the larger atmosphere in which that's going to be happening? Is that going to be extremely hard um, and like or, fi- financially difficult? You mean or yeah, regulatory? Yeah, both. You know everything. I mean, I, because you know there have always been people. You know, it's it's cliche to say it at this point, but it, I think it's true that Mescal has the example of tequila before it, mm-hmm. and and a large part of that example is is what not to do. Um, and I say that as someone who, you know, owes everything to the tequila industry. Um, but you know, the, the vast majority of it is, is I think, uh, misguided, mm. you know, and, and so in, in which sense do you mean? Well, I think that you, and, and a, a lot of this, I mean, are, are, are thoughts that I had kind of nebulously and, and, uh, the work of Sarah Bowen, Dr. Mm-hmm. Sarah Bowen really helped me articulate you know, how me kind of crib some of her uh, analysis of this because she does it very well just in terms of uh talking about how the denomination of origin as a concept is supposed to protect traditional ways of making something mm-hmm. and that what we've generally seen in mexico and we've certainly seen in tequila is that that's not really what it's done and it's an it's, economic protection it feels like to me i mean it's it's intended to be an economic protection but it's supposed to protect people economically in the sense that they can continue to make cheese in this inefficient way or right. make booze in this inefficient way that's that's, an, that's the key word i think yeah inefficient way because it, it is yeah and that's okay yeah and 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 it just has in the case of tequila it hasn't done that and i think the tequila industry um, has kind of a, a personality crisis where we're all so proud of this denomination of origin status and it's unique in the world and it's got this you know a particular history right and yet the industry as a whole decided a long time ago that it wants to be in every airport bar in the entire world mm-hmm. and it wants to have margaritas on every menu in the world yeah and and I think you really can't have both hmm. um, and so I think like the question confronting Mescal is you know do you do you become a niche luxury product or do you try to become a mass everything to everyone yeah 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 um so i think i got a little bit off track there but i think just as in tequila you know there are people out in the barranca and in the sierra around the town of tequila that never stop making tequila in the old way and yeah. they make some great stuff and uh you know there's people like the jimenez family who make caballito serrero which you know they've never been certified as a tequila and they've never stopped putting tequila on the label because they say, Hey, we're older than all this regulatory right. stuff. So, you know, there, you, you can't crush it, but you can make it very, very difficult for, for people like that to, to operate and to subsist. And I think with Mescal, you know, we're, we're definitely at a moment where, uh, if it's, if it's going to become a mass product, then it's going to become very, very difficult for, 
for people who are more traditionally minded to to survive so i guess then that begs the question i guess it goes back to punk rock man yeah. green day is a great example actually yeah. you know yeah. back uh back out on look lookout records mm-hmm. born in a small van and stuff then they're the biggest punk band in the world ultimately yeah. you know is that okay for mezcal to be that big or is that what we're all bemoaning is that the thing that we once held that dirty kind of <laughs> hissy demo tape that we had for yeah. us now is becoming something more polished and available to more people i mean i don't think there's a problem with it being available but you know i think it there's a there's a scarcity inherent in a natural product there's right. a scarcity inherent in you know harvesting plants that take years to to mature and there's a scarcity inherent in having a denomination of origin and some people you know you could say the do is is good or bad i, I can certainly see arguments on both sides for sure but ultimately i think it comes down to you know does this become something that that people really have to pay a premium for you know i would say that outside of the communities where it's produced we need to look at mezcal as a luxury product yeah and you know there's a part of me there's you know the the the, the blue collar part of me that is really kind of bristles at that idea yeah but at the same time you know it's it's you can only have so much of it and if and if the producers are going to be fairly compensated and be able to make a living mm-hmm. then i think we have to speak about it as a luxury product but you know what's interesting about that there is this cognitive dissonance that happens mm-hmm. with mexico being luxury and that yeah. i hate to say but that's stereotypical. no for sure but you talk about cognac easily mm-hmm. you know scotch you can think about these places rich people big cars bright yeah. lots of money but mexico having to translate these guys working without electricity yeah into this amazing elixir and then somehow have a white dude that's in asia understand how that is a luxury product that is a massive marketing challenge yeah and i don't know if we can conquer that mm-hmm. you know tequila i mean well there's some exceptions but those are always perpetrated by white dudes um the high and tequila that's like this is luxury so yes i want to buy it because it's 200 dollars a bottle yeah. and all this fucking shit so that's a challenge there too right to yeah, it's a challenge, but I, you know, I gotta say, I mean, I'm I'm one person, and I've only been able to reach a certain amount of people, but I feel like I've seen, you know, in in the last ten years that I've been doing this, that you can reach people and you can uh, convince people, and and you know, bringing people down there's the best way to do it, but yeah. you know, with the creative use of of media and and video, you know, and showing people where it comes from, how much work it takes, you know, explaining how special the plants are and things right. like that. I think people can be reached. And, you know, I, we were talking off air earlier. I just got back from Asia, and, and I think there's a real misconception maybe in Mexico that, oh, well, you know, you know they, they don't really care about it in China. They just want to buy luxury stuff. And, and I got to say, I found no. people over there to be very curious, and they want to learn. Absolutely. You know, they they want to understand what's behind it. You know, many of them, yes, are, are nouveau riche and they want to spend $200 a, a, a bottle of something just because, but they also want to understand why it right. costs that, you know? They're, it's through consumers are becoming more responsible. Yeah. Despite how much money they have. Yeah. And Shanghai is a brilliant example. Though, yeah. Because you have people that are deeply inquisitive about everything, yeah. they're very creative. It's like finally the shackles are off, man. Yeah. You know, and they get to do these totally. things. and obviously mezcal you know i've ever did kind of like a bar crawl one evening and there are these secret bottles of mezcal at every bar because it's not approved there right yeah so it's an interesting conversation to have all right so for this particular time and place you're the spokesman okay (laughs) which is nice because we have this conversation and no one can argue with us here this is (laughs) we're running close the door (laughs) (laughs) but there are a few brands that 
there are two that come to mind, which I won't name, but they have everybody bracing themselves for the complete disruption and disillusion of mezcal as we know it. And these are two big brands that we know are their money plays, their buyout plays. One of them already did get bought out. Is it going to be okay, Clayton? Are we worrying? <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're so frenzied and we're in this state of paranoia about this whole category. Do you think it's going to be okay? I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to think so. Um, I really, I really don't know. I think what we really have to do is, is, you know, use the word inquisitive, which I think is the perfect word is, is remain inquisitive and really put every brand on the spot to explain to us where they come from, what yeah. their practices are, what they're really doing to replenish the agave supply. Um, because I think, you know, people are, people are smart and, and sustainability is now buzzword. And I think we should expect every brand to, be talking about sustainability and yeah. we're reforesting and we're replanting and it's going to become easy to say those things. And, and it's even easy, I think, to go out and throw some hijuelos in the ground or throw some seeds in the ground and walk away and say, well, we did that. And I think what, what we know is that an effort to, to reforest and replenish the agave supply really takes a lot more than that. Yeah. It takes greenhouse practices and things that people are just really learning or relearning now. And so I think as consumers, we just have to really hold brands feet to the feet to the fire and say, you know, what are you really doing? Show us what you're actually doing right. and then try to stay positive and support the people that are, that are doing, you know, things the right way. And, and there's very little, I think we can do about anybody else. Yeah. You know, they're going to do their thing. And, and I think very specific side note, I mean, I think we have to, you know, really encourage the responsible commercialization of mezcal from states outside of Oaxaca, you know, mm -hmm. because everybody wants to get into Oaxaca and oh, Oaxaca's deluge, kind of tasked, tapped yeah. out, you know. Yeah. But you know, states like Durango and and you know Guerrero with with all Zacatecas, the challenges, you yeah. Some yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with all there's different challenges in those places, but you know, in in many places, supply of agave is not one of them. Yeah. Um. And and if we can begin from a responsible place, you know, then then we can, I think, start to build industries outside of Oaxaca and take some of the pressure off there. So we do have a unique opportunity is I think Morelos is a new state that hasn't been announced yet or it has, it's going to be a new one. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah Estado this. de Mexico, right? These two places that are new so we can put some boundaries in place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helpful because you're saying, well, we've seen what happened back there. Jesus, Oaxaca is like going to become dry as a bone yeah. in terms of agave at some point. So let's really put some responsible things in place. So, I think the community is strong enough. I think the political power and financial power is increasing to influence the governmental mm -hmm. bodies, right? It's getting better, though. It feels like it. This narrative and this connectivity. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the, the 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 thing to be positive about is is that there is this. You know, you said as a community, there's this there's this scene, there's this whatever it is around mezcal yeah. that really didn't exist, say for tequila, uh, in the '80s and the '90s, or until very recently when these types of decisions could have been affected there yeah you know they're they're really you know the academics were were raising flags from the beginning about diversity and agave supply but it's very easy for business people to ignore academics and it's harder for them oh, to ignore yeah. organized consumers and and so i think that we're in a position that's that's very very lucky and that it's not too late yeah yeah no, it's really not that's it that's the bite right that's the sound bite. yeah it is not, not too late too late no smarter people are getting engaged people with some sense of political power and financial power are also getting involved mm -hmm. and that really helps the cause so 
You mentioned that you opened a bar finally. Yeah. <laughs> is that Lakata? Is that right? Lakata, yeah. yeah. And, and we we're believe it or not, the very first and so far only tequila bar in tequila. Are you kidding? Alisco. Me? No, it's Does that not seem a little strange? It seems completely strange, <laughs> you know. Uh when I when I started going there, you know, and most foreigners have this experience too of oh, I'm going to tequila Jalisco. They're gonna have all the tequilas there. You know, I'm gonna be able to try all the tequilas. Right, right. And you would go there and there are, you know, 10 years ago, there were not many bars at all. Um, and now there's there's quite a many more and some some very good ones. But um, you basically see three to five brands of tequila that, yeah. that are maybe not so exciting because you know them from back home right. and, and, you know, they they're might be fine, but that's, it's not what you really came for. Uh, and I, you know, 10 years of doing tours just kept waiting like someone's going to open a tequila bar. Here. Someone's going to open a tequila bar here. <laughs> um, and nobody nobody did. And, and I had... Um, offers over the years of, of investment and people who wanted to do that and it was just never really the right time yeah. place and people uh but you know some some changes happened recently in tequila jose cuervo opened a huge five-star hotel wow um and a space very near there became available uh and i had some people around me who i thought were the right people to um put together a, a group and and we opened last April. We're about to do our, our one year anniversary party in a couple months. Oh, that's incredible. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, that. thanks. It's 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 been a, a steep learning curve for me. You know, I sure. had no background in, in the bar business, but I have a wonderful manager uh, who who, you know, runs things day to day there and just does an incredible job. Uh, and my partners, you know, two of my partners have bars in Portland and Seattle. And oh, so cool. I've learned a lot from from all of them. How uh, often do you have to get back there and get your hands dirty? Well, you know, I was I was there every day for a year. Yeah. Uh, and then I took a month off. Uh, and since then I've been there about every two, I've been there for two weeks out of every month basically. Wow. Um, and then I just took another month off and, and was doing events in Asia. Um, I'm trying to get it down to, to about a, a week every month and yeah. really focus that on staff training and program development. Um, but you know, anybody who has a bar knows better than I do that it's a lot of things happen and come up and sure. you get dragged into all kinds of mundane details and repairs and things like that. Plumbing. But we're yeah, always it's always, it's always plumbing. plumbing. It's basically always plumbing. Yeah, um, but we're very proud of it. Uh, it's 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 a nice it's a nice little bar. We do tastings there. Uh, we have over two hundred tequilas. But more important, you know, I say that because you kind of have to say that. But um, the the important piece there is that our, our staff is well trained and knowledgeable and can actually talk to you about all those tequilas yeah. and make recommendations. You know, there's there's plenty of bars in the U.S. where you know crazy impressive back bar, but they don't really know what they have or what it is right. or how to talk about it. And it's really more of a prop to sell beer and margaritas. Mm. Um, and, and what we're doing is something pretty different. We, and we have a, a small but thoughtful, I think, selection of mezcals, um, oh, cool. kind of emphasizing uh, non-Oaxacan states just to be to be a little different. So yeah. we've got a lot from Guerrero and, and Guanajuato. Cool. And, um, a lot of non-certified Jalisco mezcals and Arcia and things like that. Um, uh, we have a craft cocktail program, which is very modest but, but um, well-executed. Um, uh, did yeah. you see it going in this direction 10 years later? No, no, ab <laughs> absolutely, absolutely not. Um, and you know, having now kind of two full-time, uh, projects is, is a lot, but as, as the an, tour and then the, the spot. Yeah. Know, experience, okay. experience Mescal, you know, doing, doing tours in both Jalisco and Oaxaca and still doing some events and some consulting. Um, but mostly the tours and then the bar is a, a yeah. separate project that I have partners in, uh, with which I have partners and, uh, it's it's a full time thing, but as I mentioned earlier, I've I've you know finally kind of got a team on on both sides of this, and so I was kind of alone in the wilderness for 
for many years and doing everything on my own. Right. And, and now, you know, I have, I have a crew of people who are really great and reliable and, and it's, uh, I'm grateful for that every day. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm trying to think of this, 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 this concept, right? I never wanted to have kids. You know, that wasn't mm-hmm. really part of my thing. And my wife and I, we've agreed, like, we're not going to do that. That really frees up a lot of my time, by the way. For <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm, I'm the same. <laughs> so, for, so for you, you know, you're 40 now. You have an amazing reputation. You're traveling all over the place, a jet setter. You're doing education. You're a nice gateway into Mexico, right, for folks that have never sure. had the chance to go. Or maybe they do it someday. What, like, personally, do you think that this is something that maybe you'll still always do because you're passionate about it. But do you want to start a family? Do you want to get married and settle down? Is that, <laughs> oh, man. Is that even like a thing on your <laughs> oh, radar man. at all? Um, well, I'm, I've for a long time known, I, I since I was a kid, I've known I didn't want to have kids. Yeah. So as you said, that that simplifies you know, Absolutely. a lot of things. Um, but you already have two kids. You think about it, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're bratty and they never grow up. That's right. Um, and they cost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to... I'd like my life to settle down a little bit. You know, I'd like to be a little more in the same place and, yeah. and have a little more of a, a stable life. Um, it, it's getting to that point, you know, it's, yeah. it's been, it's been a very busy 10 years and uh, I'm, I'm feeling the miles a little bit. And so, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to settle down a little bit, um, but there's, there's still a lot to be done. And, you know, we're looking at uh, locations for a second La Cata within Mexico. Oh, cool. Um, and you know, I have, I want to, I'm working on uh, a Recia day tour that I'm yeah. going out of Vallarta. So I'm a little bit restless by nature sure. and you know, uh, you know, the, the, the person, the personal life will, will come together. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. <laughs> well, if you follow your heart and I know that sounds fucking cliche, but it is really the case. Yeah. Mescal and Agave finds us. We don't always yeah. find it, you know, yeah. and it's all because we love it and we're passionate about it. Same thing with romance and all that yeah. in our personal relationships. So can we maybe expect, and perhaps that's too strong of a word, but maybe somewhere in the future you would have a book? Well, I, I certainly, you know, it might be too ambitious for me to say a book, although it's crossed my mind. I mean, I just, I need to develop the discipline to just write, yeah. you know, and, and take tough, it one right? step at a time. Yeah. Because I have, I have some chops, you know, like I can, I can put words together, but I'm very lazy and mm. disciplined about that in particular. So um, I need, you know, and, and I was when when the changes to the mescal norm kind of burst onto the scene that was uh, a nice inspiration for me to start doing some writing but you know it fell by the wayside again so yeah. um i just kind of need to challenge myself to to do some regular writing and then just see where it goes because i think you you seem articulate and actually you know what not seem you are right yeah i think you understand language have a mastery of two languages and God, just just think about how that would read on the page, like how expressive that could be. I have some things to say for sure. Yeah, yeah. I that some... punk rock mentality never goes away either, <laughs> no. man. It's on our shoulder. It's a ch- it's almost literally a ship a chip yeah. on our shoulder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know. <laughs> well, I got two questions left for you. In uh, how long are you in Austin? You're leaving like tomorrow. Sometime? I leave tomorrow evening. Yeah, man. How, yeah. When's the last time you were in town? I was actually here not too long ago. Um, I came up here. I can't remember. It was a few months ago. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. So we'll have to connect. Next I almost. Time. I almost moved here once. No yeah. way. I really. I really I'm like Austin. I really like Austin. Yeah. We, we dig. We dig having you here. It'd be yeah, good. Great like community it. here. Yeah. Man. William for one. I mean. Yeah. He's a wonderful guy. I like all right. It a lot. So the actual questions now, because I was just curious yeah. about the Austin thing is. I'm asked this of all the guests. You know. You know. You mentioned you kind of listened to the chat I had with Judah, maybe even Tomas, but. Mm-hmm. You are sipping whatever tequila or mezcal you you love and enjoy at La Cata. Uh-huh. 
And you can have a conversation and a drink with anybody ever uh-huh. in the history. So living or deceased, who would you love to just come into your bar and sit down next to them and talk about life? Oh, wow. That's a hard one. And it changes from month to month for me too. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I just, I, it's, it's super duper cliche and I can't believe I'm even going to say it, but, um, I, I just got back from Asia and I've, I've been doing a lot of reading. I'm going to, I'm going to say the Buddha, oh, but that's an enemy. I'm going to say the Buddha. If he didn't drink, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a white dude with a beard. There is no way he was that happy and enlightened without right? an, some kind of spirit now and again. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if it's on the record that he ever moderation, did. Moderation, moderation. Dude, but it would, that would be amazing. Yeah. Because there is not a topic he would not have deep insights yeah, into. For sure. I have some questions. Yeah. And no one's <laughs> ever said that, by the way. Oh, nice. So I think that's an amazingly uplifting answer. Yeah. All right. So last question. Uh-huh. And we're going to go see this movie tonight, which would be cool. The yeah. State Spirit of the Nation will have the filmmakers in here this week as well. But you going to sing again? You going to get on stage anytime soon? Oh, you know, I get it out of my system with karaoke once in a while. That's I, good. To, I, I, that's I, good to know. I did some karaoke in Hong Kong, and so I'm I'm good. I'm good for a little bit, but that's what karaoke's for, you know. I see. It, it, it uh, yeah, get, gets it out of your system. <laughs> Anthemic song for you, karaoke. What's your go-to? Born to Run. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> These days, yeah, Born to Run. Love it. Salt of the Earth, man. Mr. That's right. Springsteen's brilliant. Well, Clayton, I never thought we would have this opportunity, man. I Thank never you thought so you'd much. be in Austin. I never get that. get to sip this amazing mezcal vago from Aquilino, man. Yeah. Sierra Negra. Thanks, Aquilino and Judah. Yeah. Dude, right? Yeah. These guys. And Judah's in town. Going to hang with the tall surfer, bro. Give me a fun night. It's a, that's yeah. absolutely right. So, Clayton, thanks so much for coming thanks, in Austin. Mike. Thanks for chatting, dude. Great. Talk yeah. soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, there we have it. What do you guys think of Clayton? Brilliant dude, right? It's one of those kinds of guys you just want to sit down and chat with and have a couple of mezcales. And just talk about life. You know, he's a public servant in Portland, serving the people impoverished and things like that. And now he is in Mexico guiding these amazing tours for tequila and mezcal both. And this is the thing about the agave community. There are people that are very protective about it, maybe even like dogmatic about it. But Clayton is passionate and he's connected to the culture and the people. And he just wants to share. And I think this is maybe the most important tenet of agave is this needs to be shared. And you can critique it. You can talk about its praises and you can talk about how maybe commercialization disrupts and destroys a category. But you know what? People like Clayton are out there sharing and being compassionate and caring about the producers. And it's just very, very inspiring. Clayton, thank you so much for taking the time out to sit down and chat. We talk about Dead Kennedys, Guns N' Roses, everything I want to talk about, right? And sipping a beautiful Sierra Negra Tepestate blend that I just finished that bottle. So it all ties back It's the holiday season. Mezcal is an amazing gift. Knowledge and passion is an amazing gift. So, Clayton, thanks so much for chatting with me. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. You really should check out Bodyguard, a new series on Netflix. British stuff always gets me, and this is really, really pensive. Very, very tense, and you will love the show. And if you're thinking about watching Scrooge, perhaps the greatest Christmas movie ever made, please keep watching.